I'm Ray Rogers. And I'm Brad Kepler. You're listening to Fix This, a podcast exploring tech ideas and solutions to some of today's largest challenges. Like education, work and the future of work are evolving as the world adjusts to the changes spurred on by COVID-19. And in response to the pandemic, organizations are fundamentally changing how they operate, from how their staff interacts to how they deliver services and meet their own customers' needs. We are in a period of rapid development, and technology is underlying many of these organization-wide changes. Mount Sinai Health System in New York aims to deliver state-of-the-art care for the diverse population of New York City. They have a presence in all five boroughs of the city and in Westchester. Ray sat down with Benjamin Misano, the Chief Technology Officer and Head of Application Engineering of Consumer Digital at Mount Sinai Health System. Take a listen to how their digital-first mindset is changing not only the patient experience, but the staff's experience at work, too. In New York, we have eight hospitals, hundreds of clinics, and and thousands of physicians, and we see millions of, of patients a year. Patient population from a socioeconomic perspective, as well as just a clinical need and, and in kind of categorization are, are highly dynamic and we kind of see everything. So you can imagine the different needs building a, a digital engagement platform that has to service at the same time, uh, say, a cancer patient, a knee joint replacement patient that has pre-post-op surgeries or even a pregnancy. So COVID-19, of course, hit New York City quite early on in the cycle of the pandemic, and it was the epicenter of the outbreak in the U.S. just a few months ago. What did that look like for Mount Sinai in terms of patient numbers and calls and outreach and the resulting workload for Mount Sinai's staff? We never actually hit a breaking point where you saw like in Italy and some other places that we came very close. But because of so much proactive planning allowed us to never actually run out of that equipment. And we, we also diverted a lot of appointments uh, to virtual, which was huge, or, or, or canceling and delaying them. It was a massive undertaking by every facet of the health system. And uh, luckily, the timing of our product was there where we were offering for Sinai text chat that let people ask questions about COVID, get answers, when they can get testing, should they come in, should they cancel their appointment. So to be able to step them up to virtual or assess them uh, through a chat or video it was hugely important to to be able to manage basically the the demand side to manage the risk of COVID. This chatbot that you're talking about, it's SMS-based, so people just can text in and then receive answers to complex questions? That's right. The COVID side of the bot was designed to uh, quickly get people trivial answers and, and to automate the flow. So we basically free them up to do uh, more complex tasks. So like, what are some of the questions that they could ask? Patients could ask kind of, should I be worried about this symptom? Um, should I, I had this contact or a fe- my, my fellow family member had this contact? What should I do? How do I get answers? General questions about the disease that they want from a trusted source was huge. And then further along in the pandemic, it was, how do I get tested? Things like that. And we were also able to like help schedule those. Yeah. And prior to the chatbot, would it require people to call a physical line or otherwise schedule a face-to-face meeting with a care provider? Prior to COVID, we had some telehealth, but obviously this supercharged, I think everyone realized that across the board, is uh, the not only the demand side went way up, but the supply side, right? Traditionally in telemedicine, it has been a supply side challenge too, getting good quality doctors uh, or competing time. If they can do more for patients hands-on and they can get paid more for in-person visits, that's an option. So when you want to do a digital first healthcare, um, that, that was always been a challenge. I think the, the, the silver lining here has been uh, both the supply and demand going up and the realization that 
digital first makes a lot of sense in healthcare, right? If you go look at a loan, you'll probably start online. If you go book an airline, you don't walk into the airline and ask them, hey, is this right for me? Should I go to this other <laughs> airline? You Right? It's kind yeah. of silly. You, that, But that's what happens in healthcare. But it should be like, get triaged online, do research online, engage and set up online, get your appointment, and then you go into the office. So being able to start digital first, I think is here to stay now. Mm-hmm. And and just happening instead of the you know tens to hundreds a day, it's happening the thousands a day around Mount Zion. Yeah. And I want to go back to a point that you just made about how the chatbot has now given the gift of time back to the doctors and the staff at Mount Sinai to do higher priority visits or whatever else it is that they may need to do that otherwise was spent on these triaging type conversations. So how has the chatbot changed work for Mount Sinai staff, whether it's the front desk staff, the people manning the lines, or even doctors? Obviously, to have a good patient experience heavily relies on our staff to, to engage in the same platform because really what people are looking for is to talk to a physician to find out what's wrong. A lot of uh, the realization was we didn't want to go overkill on the automated bot side. The real main purpose of the bot is let you get connected quickly to the right human in Mount Sinai. So one, that means you're reducing people's wasted time staff-wise of redirecting people. If people call a number, go through those phone trees, you've probably all experienced at a consumer level, that's that's a waste of everyone's time. And so the bot is really good at getting you to the right department, the right person. How does language play a factor? You mentioned earlier that, of course, in New York City, it's such a diverse city and there are so many different populations within New York that speak different languages. How does the bot handle that? Yeah, so we look at the practical languages we need to support, not just English and Spanish, but but many others and across New York. And the, the key there is we're not just talking about a general consumer taxonomy, but also taking a healthcare taxonomy and making sure it's understandable. So when you're doing translation, that's also really important. And that's where traditional translation has fallen down a little bit. So that's a very sensitive thing that we really have to get right. But there are a lot of practical small wins static text, we can get translated uh, very easily. Um, And then it gets into like configured text, right? What is the bot saying? And then it gets into live. Can we actually live translate between a care navigator, a physician, and a patient? And so those are three different levels of internationalization that we have plans to support and are already supporting. Yeah. So what role does the cloud play in helping Mount Sinai to not only conceive of different features to build into the chatbot, but also to really make it a reality? The cloud will help us deliver on not just the chatbot, but the whole telehealth platform and our whole platform, right? We're born in the cloud. If you look back 10 years ago, how hard it was to do some of these things. And and now a savvy engineer can piece together not only infrastructure level uh, items, but but higher level APIs to do live translation, to do dynamic configurations, to do uh, machine learning. These are things that give engineering groups like ours superpowers. And we're a health system. We're not going to be the best at developing the next data science uh, machine learning algorithm. That's a that's a research exercise. If we can strip out the important pieces of data and understand your insurance card because of uh, technology we can use from the cloud and not having to build our own, that's those are huge leverage things that are kind of no-brainers, right? We should be leveraging that now. We should be standing on the shoulders of these tech giants, not reinventing things here so we can apply the, the healthcare domain on top of these uh, amazing foundational technologies. 
How is the chatbot really fitting into Mount Sinai's idea of the future of work? How is it improving the patient experience and how is it really helping Mount Sinai's staff? We actually were always partially virtual in our world, so it was a little bit easier transition for us. But many staff in Mount Sinai need to be in the office and, and, and totally virtual was new to them. And so even where traditional walk-in or phone call was the norm, right? If you look at our appointment booking, it's like still 95% was over phone. A small percent was online. And we're changing that dramatically by basically offering different mediums. So text to chat to book is a completely new avenue that we think is uh, modern and meets the patient where they are and what they want to do. But the real surprising learning was how much the staff liked it. You can imagine maybe an angry patient calling about a bill, or you can a uh, clinical question, or get needing to get triaged, or they're, they're urgent, they don't know what to do, they have questions. It's a stressful conversation, and when that that phone rings, if you're a call center person or you're a care navigator, and you get dinged on a risk stratified patient, and you got to go call them. Those are you know high stakes conversations. They're really important, and our staffs were really well trained to deal with it. But the bottom line is, over a asynchronous chat medium. Those interactions are, are much less stressful. Building tools like that, being able to capture an image, these are important interactions to get right in the experience that reduce workload for everyone, make it more time efficient. And, and most intriguing was reducing stress and letting people feel like, hey, I can maybe do two or three chats at once if I have the right tools when I'm not live on, on the audio, which, which a lot of our staff were, um, were used to. This has helped immensely during the pandemic, but this will continue to be the way of the future for Mount Sinai. Is that right? You're really thinking about this as a digital first strategy. Absolutely. So we want to make sure we can always meet the patient where they are, whether it's now at home or uh, online first. There's a big risk that happens when we discharge somebody. And so that same platform can get recalibrated and enhanced to automate check-in for patients when they leave ask the appropriate questions, escalate to clinicians when necessary, and give people a real sense that we're taking care of them when they leave our doors. All of these are long-term things and things that are here to stay and we're doubling down on. Mount Sinai's digital-first mindset will shape how they deliver care now and in the future, and ultimately, how they work to serve their diverse patient population. It's not just the healthcare sector that's embracing the cloud and using it to expand their tool set, as Benjamin said. State and local governments are also retiring their legacy technology systems in favor of modern tech solutions that can help them meet the needs of their citizens. Ray chatted with Kaz Holloway, head of public enterprise at Uncork, a US-based company that builds no-code enterprise applications for public and commercial sector customers. Essentially, they help large organizations build complex custom software quickly and affordably, all without a single line of code. Here's Ray with Kaz. Kaz, you've worked directly in the public sector for a long time now. You know firsthand the types of pain points and challenges that public sector organizations face because you've been there. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I've spent half my career in public service. Right out of college, I actually went to the Parks Department in New York City. I uh, took a stint in the private sector as a lawyer. Then I went and spent eight years in the Bloomberg administration. Uh, during part of that time, I ran the water and sewer utility and then for the last two and a half years, I was deputy mayor for operations. So I had oversight of the portfolio of core city service agencies and public safety, uh, but then also the buildings department, the sanitation department. We focused on delivering great services every single day because that's how cities attract and uh, retain families and businesses and, and visitors. 
during the course of that long career in public service, you see certain things come up again and again. Um, one of them is in the technology realm. And what cities and governments in general face are at least two major challenges. One is first, legacy technology. Big systems get built and they tend to be in place for a very long time. The city's 911 system, for example, was in place from basically untouched the 1960s until the new system went live in 2012. In order for you to actually, for example, do digital transformation, you need a system that either will integrate with your legacy or you have to replace your legacy. And replacing legacy um, in a city like New York is hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollar proposition. You now run the public sector business at Uncork. Can you give us a quick rundown of what Uncork is and how it's meeting the needs of public sector organizations? We're deployed in AWS, as are many of our clients. And the way you build an Uncork is by using visual interfaces and a set of configuration tools. You can build very complex applications. And one of the key things is they integrate with legacy systems. We've really figured out how to do integrations and to take in data from legacy systems and then enable both public and private sector companies to continue to leverage legacy systems for as long as they need to and still be able to move forward with digital transformation. And in terms of the resource issue and the challenge of conserving resources, particularly after COVID, what's happening to um, local government budgets is you know, it's going to be very difficult for a long time, um, but also just in general, uh, the, the limitations of the public sector. What Uncork really does is it, it broadens the, the group of people who can build and develop software. If you understand how the business process or service outcome you want to get works, you can build and deploy it in Uncork. What are some of the things that Uncork is doing to help bridge this divide? And how is Uncork helping different organizations in the public sector build sustainable solutions that will yield long-term benefits, not just a reactive response? We have an application in, uh, in New York City for their Get Food program where the citizen has to answer a qualifying survey. If they qualify, they get to order food. That order actually goes to a, a hub that is geoproximate to where the person who ordered it lives, uh, and then it is batched with other orders. And then a taxi and limousine commission driver can sign up for shifts to go pick up and deliver that food at that hub. And we were able to work with the city of New York to deploy that in 72 hours. We have also been able to deploy applications for this new normal. And that new normal is a normal in which people are going to need to get government services virtually. And in order to do that, they're going to need to engage through applications that enable them to interact with people in the public sector. Could be a license, could be a benefits, could be any number of things. So one other challenge that the public sector faces is you build a system and not only is it a legacy system, but generally these systems can be very difficult to change. Lots of times the systems are years behind in catching up to those requirements and there are all kinds of workarounds because redoing configurations or changing a workflow requires intense amounts of coding and um, trying to make systems work in ways they weren't designed to. And with Uncork, you don't face those barriers. Going back to the food example, if it takes months to build something in order to orchestrate all of these complex details that have to happen on the back end, that's months that you don't really have when there are hungry people in the city who need 
to be connected to food or other critical resources. And so the cloud, which powers Uncork, is really helping to speed the delivery of services on the back end. Do you have any other recent examples of work that Uncork has done with public sector customers? So one of the most exciting things is in a major American city, we also replaced the marriage license process in two weeks. That had been a process that required you to appear in person um, to get that license for 85 years. In order to get this license, you need to provide documentation of who you are, go through an identity check, enter into a video conference with a clerk who's going to go through and verify all of this stuff, do authentication uh, and signatures through a service, make a payment, and then get the license issued um, and then use it to get married. All of those parts, steps in the process required integrations, I think eight overall, that we were able to put together in two weeks and deliver uh, this seamless marriage license experience that I think is a really great example of what the new normal is going to be and the new expectation is going to be in terms of the delivery of public services. People have been talking about and doing digital transformation uh, for at least 20 years. But it's always been seen as a nice to have. Now it's a must have. And it's not just about digital, it's about virtual. You need that human contact and experience of interacting with people to get these services. And in order to deliver that, you need a platform that enables the flexibility to not just deliver it and integrate whatever your existing systems are, but also to evolve over time. As we all adjust to socializing, learning, and ultimately working in this new environment, one thing is clear. Cloud technology plays a critical role in the future of work. Thank you to our guests, Benjamin and Kaz. To learn more, visit mountsinai.org and uncork.com. And that's U-N-Q-O-R-K.com. And a big thank you for tuning in. If you liked today's episode, please help us spread the word by rating the show, sharing with your friends and family, and subscribing for more stories. We'll catch you on the next one. 